Grex Podcast. It's episode 53, where Cal takes the reins and he leads us through season four of Game of Thrones. We talk about the highlights, the lowlights, and everything in between. And then we talk about our best pop culture picks of the week. You can find all of our thoughts on all things geek at geekrex.com. Follow us on Twitter at geek underscore rex and like us on Facebook. everyone, and welcome to the 53rd Geek Rex podcast. My name is Cal, and I'll be your host this evening. I'm joined by a fantastic group. We're going to talk about Season 4 of Game of Thrones, which recently came to its conclusion. Uh, I'll be joined by Geek Rex owner, operator, head writer, editor, and all-around Renaissance man, Kyle. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous film and television critic, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> and all-around talented pop culture correspondent, Harper. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, well said, Harper. Well said. You can just see the talent coming out of that. <laughs> just emanates. All right. So I want to start pretty basic here. Uh, the Children, the series uh, four season finale, aired on Father's Day. And... Uh, I know at least one of you has some pretty strong opinions of it based on Twitter. Uh, what did you guys think, both, I guess, of the episode and of the fourth season overall? And uh, we'll start with you, Kyle. Uh, so, you know, the fourth season of Game of Thrones, very interesting season. I will say that I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, it had an interesting challenge in that it felt like it was built, uh, it was built around a lot of moments rather than it felt like it was a satisfying season on its own in many ways. Whereas season three was sort of the buildup to what we saw in season four. So it was a lot of climaxes, a lot of finishes, a lot of just, uh, I, there, there were a lot of like fist pumping. Yes. Can you believe we just saw that? Can you believe we just saw that? But at some point it felt like there wasn't as much connective thread to make it all work. It had a lot of great episodes. Um, there were certainly some big highlights that I enjoyed, and as we go, you know, talk a little bit more about that. We can sort of, I, I can mention some of those as we go. But I, I, on the whole, I thought found it less satisfying than season three. But but it's also very impossible for me to separate the two. It makes me because based on their actual adaptation from A Storm of Swords, I feel like you have to call season three and season four sort of a mega season more than anything else. And that's the way, when I look at it, I feel a little more satisfied that way. Um, as far as the finale, it was half a good episode. I mean, <laughs> the first uh, 30 minutes of it I thought were, were stellar. Uh, the last 30 minutes I thought were an, a train wreck. But uh, I know that I'm probably in a very steep minority there based on everything else I saw on Twitter and everyone else's reactions. Well, how about you, Hannah? Agree? Disagree? What are your thoughts? I liked it more than Kyle did. Uh, the, the season on a whole, I thought was really strong. For me, it was just as good, if not better, than season three. Not that season three was done weekly, but season four, I... I've read the books the whole time, so I'm up to date on the books, and season four is the first time we've really seen the show majorly deviate from what we expect to happen in the books, and also when we expect things to happen. Um, 
So for once, I kind of felt like I was getting surprised by the things that were going on. And it also eased my fears about the upcoming seasons, which I felt like if they were going to start pulling from the books verbatim, we're going to be pretty weak. So I like season four. The finale, I mostly liked. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into specifics. But there was some stuff with Shay at the end that I wasn't so into. Other than that, though, I was a fan. All right. Uh, how about you, Harper? What are your feelings on the episode and the season? Uh, for the season, I, I have a hard time kind of telling the episodes or telling the seasons apart. Honestly, it, it all kind of flows together. Um, and, and it maybe doesn't help things that this is where I really started watching just right before this season started. So I've been watching them pretty constantly leading up to the end of the season now. And now I don't know what to do. I have a, I have time to wait for the first time. Um, <laughs> But I, I actually enjoyed this season quite a bit just for the fact that um, it seems like a lot of things are finally kind of coming to a head that have been hinted at for a long time, I think. Um, we've just started moving towards what may or may not be the end game, I, I guess. is what we're, we're getting into the meat of it more than, than in previous seasons. Um, uh, and the finale itself, I actually I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, it was maybe my favorite episode of the season. Although the last three have been pretty fantastic, um, I thought one of my problems with the with the show as a whole, um, not always, but in general, is that because there are so many different characters and so many different plot threads going on, I feel like a lot of times we get this episode with like seven different things going on, and every one of the stories only moves forward by a teeny tiny amount so we only get you know Arya takes six steps forward uh, meanwhile you know somewhere else um but this final episode i feel like we centered on kind of the main four or five stories that are going and each one had something really significant that happened uh, in them for a change instead of it seems like there's a lot of kind of filler to me uh for some of the stories where they're just kind of on their way somewhere else so we had a lot of kind of interesting things happen to each of the main plot lines in this last episode and it was i thought it was pretty satisfying with the exception of some very poor editing in one one place that i may talk about later yeah i i i liked the episode quite a bit i think it was the strongest season finale of the show that i've seen um i tend to not love their season finales because Mm -hmm. as as you pointed out harper oftentimes they're very this is everyone who's on the show and here's where they're going and that's just not that dramatically interesting. But I, I thought this one was really strong just on a character and on a thematic level. And there were also a lot of, a lot of uh, really impressive decisions there. I think that they, they did some great things. Uh, they made some interesting choices in adapting it, uh, as, as Hannah pointed out. I've read up to this point in the series... Uh, so there were a number of surprises for me, even though I had read this book and, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see how they, how they build off of some of these, uh, fairly sizable changes going forward. And I, th- I think the fourth season I thought was very strong. So I'm looking forward to, to more. I think that, um, the showrunners are really getting a feel for, the characters enough to the point where they aren't as beholden to Martin's work as they really had to be in that first season, especially like it's just such a huge world and such a huge cast, but I feel like they're coming into their own. You know, Cal, for the record, you and I are on the exact same point in the books. I have not read past book three, so we had the same amount of surprises though. I have spoiled much of it for myself on Wikipedia. 
So. I've done the same. I've done the same. <laughs> I, 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 I think Hannah, though, you've read them. You've read them all, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So. I read them all really close together, really fast. So honestly, some of the smaller details escape me. Um, but I, I, I have the gist. Yeah. Now, season four overall was an incredibly popular season of TV. Um, it didn't just hit record high ratings for the show, though it did do that. I believe it added um, about 2 million viewers on average over season three, which was already a series high. Um, I recall reading a story saying that it tied The Sopranos as the most watched HBO show on like a season average basis uh, this season. Holy cow. That's awesome. Can it possibly keep this up? I mean, what do you guys think about Game of Thrones as a just weirdly mainstream part of the, zeit, the, the zeitgeist? I mean, I have, I have a 60-something-year-old co-worker who was talking to me about it recently. Um, not if uh, it sticks to what book four and book five are. <laughs> uh, I mean... Well, I was going to say, so season four, I think, benefited from the hype and the kind of water cooler talk that happened in season three, right? Because you had the Red Wedding and you had a lot of stuff going on and people were talking about it. So I think people at that point started to catch up to become part of this and then we're in for season four. So I think season five, we're going to see a really strong start because so much has happened up to this point and, you know, it's only gotten more intense. There's basically been a character death per episode for the last... <laughs> six weeks yeah so i think it's going to start off with a really strong beginning the question is whether or not they can make it interesting enough and retain what was shown in the books yeah i mean this this like i said at the beginning this was a season of climaxes so this is the best book they've yeah. just finished the best book <laughs> but and it's the climaxes of the best book so it's yes. like you don't get any of the naff at the beginning of the book you have nothing but uh you know, third act turns every single episode. Joffrey dying, Oberyn dying, uh, Lady Aaron dying. Uh, let's see, Tywin dying, Shay dying. I mean, some, like you said, someone dies every, every episode. Every episode, yeah. Um, and there was always the specter of death hanging over Tyrion's head. So every time somebody died, people will go to that proverbial water cooler and start saying, can you believe what happened on Game of Thrones last night? I, I was at the airport and I heard people talking about this. And, uh, that, and, of course, I did not butt my way into that conversation, though I so desperately wanted to. Um, I mean, it's the closest thing to the new Lost, right? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I think yeah, uh, it's a really good comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I wonder if we can thank HBO Go for that primarily. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to watch it otherwise, I, I would say. Same. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The sharing of passwords. Mm -hmm. is that, uh, yep. I, won't, I, won't, I won't turn you in, Harper. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, on, on top of that, it's also the most pirated show every year. So, I mean, like this is getting record high legitimate numbers and record high illegitimate numbers. I'm <laughs> I have a relative who pirates the show. It really is kind of a, in, in like a soap opera in like the grand tradition, like except instead of everyone sleeping around, it's everyone murdering around. But <laughs> I mean, it seems to scratch the same itch for, for a lot of people. <laughs> Which I guess brings me to, and this is going to be the tough question, uh, season four was also the most controversial season of the show. Now, about two months ago, we all discussed, do you guys remember talking about Breaker of Chains? Mm -hmm. Indeed. Yep. When Jane, uh, spoiler alert, uh, if you don't, if you uh, 
Why are you listening to the star? podcast? You haven't <laughs> watched that episode exactly. yet. <laughs> um, but uh, in which Jamie raped his sister over the corpse of their incest child. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, from that description, the scene was <laughs> trying to push buttons, but it seemed to push a lot of people's buttons a little too hard. And when we talked about that scene and the show's relationship with misogyny in general, most of us took a wait-and-see approach. What was the fallout going to be? How are they going to handle that relationship? Um, Now that we've seen the fallout and we've seen how they handled things like Shay's death and other things, has your opinion of the show's relationship with its female characters changed in any way? Or are you mostly still a little ambivalent? What are you guys? What are you guys thinking, S. Harper? I, I'm still I'm still at a point where I, I can't really decide. Honestly, um, I, I'm I'm still kind of on the on the level that we we discussed before that I think the show is just as awful to its men as it is to its women, um, and and I don't know that that's really changed at this point. Still, um, I think the focus has maybe shifted a little. There was there's a lot less um, kind of you know clandestine lovemaking in this season and and uh uh whorehouse scenes maybe <laughs> than, than there were earlier this this season's really kind of focused more on on the battles and the uh the kind of um rivalries a little more i think um so it's taken less of a forefront so i, I don't know i don't know that my my opinion's really changed yeah i'm gonna agree um i mean there's certainly i think there's two women that have definitely been disserviced by this season and some of the changes they made from the book that didn't really seem to serve a purpose. Um, But I mean, I'll say like when I think about, you know, the situation with Cersei and with Shay, I can think of counterpoints in um, the male characters, basically like Harper said, you've got Theon who's been tortured and castrated and everything else. And then, you know, I was also thinking about it and it's interesting if you think about the character of Jon Snow, because he goes out with the wildlings and he's basically pressured to break his vows to prove that he's a wildling and that he's not part of the, the watch anymore. And I was thinking if his character was a female, imagine how that would have played out. Like she's out there with a bunch of wildlings and she has to have sex with one to prove that she's part of their team. You know, like no one yeah. really blinked an eye because it was a guy and she was really pretty and <laughs> he wanted to, but in a way, I mean, he was kind of, forced into that situation a little bit too. He had feelings for her and it was a little bit different, but I can just only imagine how that would have played with a female in that situation. That's a good point. Well, okay. So my opinion is that it's actually gotten a little worse for me lately. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the, the fact of the matter is once you start to see interviews with guys like Alex Graves, who was the director of last night's episode and of uh, Breaker of Chains and of a couple of other episodes throughout the season. Um, You see an interview with him and he'll say, oh, well, that that wasn't rape. That wasn't rape between Cersei and Jaime. And then I've seen interviews with uh, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff, who are the showrunners for Game of Thrones, and they were talking about this scene between Shay and Tyrion. And they they justified the scene is because it was such an inherent tragedy because they loved one another and seeing them try to kill one another it's so sad and I'm thinking to myself those guys have a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes people work mm-hmm. I had a huge problem <laughs> with uh, this this Shay Tyrion death scene and the thing was we Hannah and I had talked about this 
weeks and weeks ago, we had said this is going to be a problem because they've made Chase such a like a fleshed out character mm-hmm. that once if they were going to keep the scene basically the same as it is from the book where he kills her by choking her out without any real proper motivation because in the book she's just a whore you know she's just somebody that, that that's that's trying to have sex with him for money and she will turn on a dime in this show she actually loves him mm-hmm. um that motivation has to be there for him to actually kill her that's not what showed up on the show. And to me, that actually worsened my opinion of the show. Well, and it wasn't even him killing her. It was also her betraying him. That was actually the worst disservice to me, was the fact that she completely betrayed him because she was a scorned, jealous lover. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was kind of a downside for me, too. I know um, part of the downside, weirdly, of making her into a more fleshed-out character was that this season really made her seem quite dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she she was constantly being confronted with Tyrion saying, and Varys, and a number of people basically saying, hey, if the Lannisters find out what's going on here, they will torture and kill you. And she's acting like she's getting jealous over his marriage to Sansa, which he doesn't even want, and she knows he doesn't want it. Like, she, yeah. And she was all like, bring it. I don't care. Let them find us. You know, and then something actually happened and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. He's evil. <laughs> Try to kill her. You know? Was- yeah. And I think I think it hurt her character, too, that we didn't see what turned her. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, was it a, the threat of torture or did they was it just that she was a scorned lover? Because they really played it up to make it seem like she was just jealous. Yeah. And that was a that was a problem for me. That's a good point. I mean, I think the fact that it, we saw her so sparsely towards the end, too, that she just sort of appears back for the trial and then appears back in the, the last episode, um, you know, in in, in uh, Tywin's bed. It's like, well, you know, why didn't we see how any of that came about? That just seemed very kind of strange to you. I, I'll agree with you there. Yeah, her her sleeping with Tywin was very contrived to me. Like bo- on both their sides. Like I I can't imagine Tywin doing that. You know, like <laughs> he seems generally kind of asexual on the show. Even I mean, to an extent, you 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 because he's such a general, very stoic. You don't even see that side of him, like him desiring anything but power. Yeah, I kind of I was hoping, and I knew they wouldn't, but I was hoping they would have done something where maybe. He killed Shay. Tywin killed Shay, and Tyrion killed him for revenge or something. Because they they dropped the whole, you know, in the in the books they referenced the fact that Tyrion had been married before, and Tywin had basically, you know, ended that. Uh, and she, you know, he said that she was a whore and that they'd paid her to marry him, but that wasn't actually true. They decided to omit all of that. That's fine, but they could have replaced it with Shay. And that been the meaningful relationship. Yeah, I, they, at some point they just sort of eliminated the idea of why anything was happening on that side of things, and it's still made for okay television. But when you start to think about the issues with this show, uh, especially how it has some gender politics problems, uh, whether you agree with it or not, the people are talking about it. That did not help matters whatsoever. And um, yeah. Needless to say, it, it definitely worsened my thoughts around uh, the concept of this show and misogyny. And, you know, I would be okay with it and, and if I just hadn't read any interviews with these guys. And then I realized how just they completely miss what the issues are. And what surprises me is no one's even talking about this. 
the the interviews definitely hurt. I think it also this episode kind of bugged me because we had so many people saying after Breaker of Chains, wait to see the fallout, wait to see how Cersei reacts. And then in this episode, you literally had Cersei dropping to her knees in front of Jamie and saying that she was in love with him and was willing to sacrifice everything to be with him. Mm-hmm. But and she didn't mean it. She was just using him. No? What, was she? I couldn't tell. I thought she was just into him, too. No, she, she using she, him. She came off. Like, she, she didn't really have an end game there. It seemed like it was like it seemed like she told her father and then went to Jamie because she was done pretending. And I don't know, like I, I didn't get the manipulation, I guess, uh, from that. Uh, and do, do you know more than I know because of your reading the books? No, 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 I don't. I just, I just took that as she was fed up. She wanted to rub this situation in Tywin's face. And so she ran to grab Jamie as soon as she could. And he was like, someone might walk in. And she was like, I don't care. To me, it was almost like, let them walk in, please. So these rumors can circulate and everyone can know that I'm having an affair with my brother and, you know, my son won't be king anymore, but we'll be, we'll be a family and we'll get away from here and he won't be taken from me. She basically was like, I'm willing to throw all of this away to not be separated from my son. You know, people can find out. I don't really care. And so to me, she, she was acting on that, you know, trying to call her father's bluff. Huh? Yeah. I didn't think it was a like all of a sudden she remembered that she loved him. It was just like, fuck you, dad, basically, like, I'm going to go do this and I hope everybody finds out. Yeah, there doesn't really seem to be a reason for her to besides that to run back to to Jamie, particularly after what happened earlier in the season. Yeah. So to me, it was a manipulation. All right. All right. Eh, I I mean, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from. I think. I think I'm probably the hardliner here when it comes to the show and its misogyny <laughs> as I'm, I've, I've been pretty convinced that it was relatively misogynistic for about three seasons now. <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm coming to your side though, bro. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I honestly, like I never thought about it too much until I just saw how dopey some of these guys are that run the show and how tone deaf they are when in regards to some of these issues. But does handling a female character poorly make you misogynistic? Or does that mean you handled a female character poorly? Because they have a lot of strong female characters that they handle really well. It's not a it's not a hard pattern that they don't give females respect. They've yeah. just, you know, fumbled on a couple of these. Yeah. I mean they gave Brian a, a, a good a good uh, scene kicking the shit out of the hound. So. Marjorie, Arya, Daenerys, yeah. Brienne. We've got a lot of good female characters who've had no missteps. Yeah. I mean, there there are, but I think part of it for me is also, I guess, more on the directorial side. Because just and this season really highlighted it for me. The way they filmed Oberyn when he was naked or near naked. And the way they filmed the women when they were naked and or near naked was just the difference between just the focus of the camera, the the way it lingered, the way it moved was so different. And I don't think the show has textually earned that level of, I guess, subjectivity in the camera. I, I just I, I feel like the way that the way that it treats some of its female characters has been very, very good. Uh, it does, as you point out, have a fairly high 
quotient and a wide variety. Like all of the really great female characters are very different characters mm-hmm. from each other. But man, when they misstep, they misstep hard. They do. Well, I mean, it's not TV; it's HBO, and it's tits. <laughs> well, so. yeah, I was gonna say the the sexual stuff. You're right. You know, I'm talking about the writing and the violence, but just the random casual nudity. You're right. They do tend to. It's it's interesting. It's either females or gay men that they'll show in the same way, but not straight men. Um, but I take that as HBO because they do that on all of their shows. Oh yeah, True Detective was littered with that stuff. Yeah, I mean. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that comes from a higher, higher level. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was an interview with a HBO executive who his entire job was basically that. Like he he claimed in the interview that he represented the the perverted side of the audience. <laughs> I uh, believe it. So you, you guys are telling me that in the books, like every other page is not uh, Martin, you know, describing, you know, her pendulous bosoms or like, no, it's not just in like. In fact, Harper replaced the, the nudity with <laughs> describing food. And that's the book. Uh, he takes as much time describing. It's more like food porn than porn. <laughs> interesting yeah yeah i don't know and plus i think the the books have a significantly less background rape <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like just incidental rape happening just off it's camera incidental. but it, still kind of focused on but not quite can, can, can like, we agree that craster's keep is the show's utter low point yes okay. yeah. yeah yeah that was <laughs> that was for me one of just the uh that was tough I only think about it because you mentioned the background rape, and I just remember that one dude in the background was just going at it while yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> while uh, Burn Gorman was was speechifying. Also, another low point. Burn Gorman. Right. <laughs> God. All right. Now, the children fourth season finale was the most overtly fantastical episode of the series to date, and season four was probably the most fantastical overall. I mean. This episode literally had immortal beings shooting fireballs at Harryhausen-esque skeleton warriors. <laughs> Which was awesome, by the way. Oh, uh, I loved it. I guess we, I was going to say, how do you guys feel about the typically grounded show slowly becoming something that looks more like traditional fantasy? I, I really, that's one of the aspects of the show I really like. Um, as somebody who knew absolutely nothing about it, I've never read the books, anything like that. When I came into it, you know, I asked all my friends, I was like, you know, when we, I first started, I was like, is there going to be like, you know, mages and dragons and that sort of thing in there? You know, all my friends are all like, you'll see. <laughs> um, and, you know, the way that they eased in the dragons uh, over time, you know, that's something that didn't come about till the end of the first season. And um, the way that they've slowly kind of built in some of these things has, has been fun to me. It makes it a little bit more believable, I think. I, I'm more interested having not started with, you know, full-fledged, you know, magic craziness all over the place. I'm more invested in it now, so I'm more okay with it, I guess. Yeah, I, did, I didn't actually notice a huge shift in the magic. Maybe I mean, now that you pointed out, maybe I see it. But they've been all along injecting the show with, I think, a lot more magic and fantasy than we've seen in the books, which I've appreciated. There might have been a lull there for a little bit, but... um. Like Melisandre, you know, she's been a big part of it. I guess 
I guess you're right. It was this season, but I think also the last season as well. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, yeah. we got like the Knights King or whatever that uh, White Walker was. It was turning babies into into yeah. whites. Yeah, and, then, and the Giants and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. The Giants, and then of course uh, the thing from Monty Python and the Holy Grail showed up. Uh, the skeletons? No, not the skeletons. You remember the the the, the, the guy that's like, there's some who call me Tim. Remember that guy from uh, the Holy Grail? He throws, like, <laughs> oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my friend Chris. Uh, he was he was comparing the uh, I guess Leaf or whatever her name is from uh, the, who's like the, one of the children that they meet basically comparing it to that character with the Vorpal Bunny and all that stuff <laughs> and um, and of course that still is not the best tweet of the night which of course came from Harper comparing, <laughs> comparing the Three-Eyed Crow to the Wizard Shazam uh, which was of course just it just tickled me in all the right places oh, totally I was looking for the, the statues I thought for sure some <laughs> lightning was about to come into that cave <laughs> You know, I was thinking about the title of the episode when you were saying that the children just now, and I didn't even make the connection that Jojen and Bran, you know, they were running into her. She was a child. But, like, what an awesome title for this episode. Because if you think about it, everything is surrounding the children. Tywin's children are breaking the family apart and killing him. Uh, Jojen <laughs> and Bran, and uh, they all go up there and meet that child. You've got the Hound and... Uh, Brienne fighting over Arya, the child. I mean, it was just nonstop Daenerys and her dragons. They were basically her children. Mm-hmm. It's a good. It was a good episode name. Smart. It really was, and I, I believe, aren't the um, those those kids in the book? Aren't they called the Children of the Forest too? Yeah, yeah, they, they are. are. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was it was very good. And whoever whoever scheduled it on HBO that episode to air on Father's Day, kudos, <laughs> sir. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, Excellent choice for me. Uh, I mean, it looks like they're. They, I mean, they're, that that scene with the with with whatever that girl's name is, I can't remember. But that that's from a Dance with Dragons, I understand. So they've like pulled everything. What girl? The fire throwing leaf. Oh yeah, 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 leaf yeah. Leaf or whatever her name Jojen is. Jojen and Bran, uh, their storyline is at the end of what's available, and actually further because I don't think that happened with Jojen in the books yet. Ah, well. I'm pretty sure that was a forward leap, unless I completely missed something. He had, Jojen had basically indicated that he had seen his death or foreseen his death, but I don't think that he had actually died. See, that's how much I cared about that part of the story up until now. <laughs> I still didn't know his name, even when he died. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that guy died. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wondered if they knew it was going to happen next book anyway, and maybe they had trouble keeping that actor around. So they were like, mm. let's just speed this up. Yeah, they definitely jumped quite ahead of where the books are at this point. But I I think that was necessary. I mean, God, Bran's story just goes nowhere for book after book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely, they jumped ahead the most, I think, with Sansa, with um, Bran, obviously. Um, And they didn't jump ahead, but they definitely changed the dynamic between Cersei and Jaime that makes me intrigued to see what happens next year. They jumped a little far ahead with Daenerys, too, didn't they? I mean, I don't remember all that happening to Daenerys in the third book. No, you're right. Yeah, they they jumped ahead with that, too. Yeah, so (laughs) uh, it'll be very interesting to see how this endgame kind of wraps together in next season. I'm I'm utterly fascinated by it, actually, because it sounds like they're going to basically write their own... Like, I wonder, are books four and five going to be combined into one season? Well, they've got, I mean, they've got some material to work with still. They've got everything with um, Cersei. Like, she's a big part of the next books that they haven't actually shown yet, for example. 
And um, I believe I heard in an interview season five and six are going to combine books four and five. So it's going to be basically two seasons, two books, but not in a strict book by book separation. Yeah, because books four and five are happening simultaneously and they split them up, you know, just by random characters or whatever. But I think um, I think they're actually going to have to go past those books in the next two years if they want to wrap up the show by season seven. Is yeah. that when they want to be done? Those current, the, yeah. the last Entertainment Weekly article was like they wanted to wrap the show in seven seasons because they weren't sure they could keep all the actors around. So if anything, it seems like they have to get books four and five all done next season. Which is fine, because they've already jumped ahead to the end of book five in some of these characters anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess my last question for you guys about Game of Thrones. Um, what what were the high points of the season for you? I mean, everyone has their crazy moments. Uh, what, what, what did you love? What did you hate? What did you just have to talk about from season four? I have an answer for this one. I've been waiting to talk about it this whole time. Um, so my favorite, favorite, favorite thing all season was the Red Viper. Pedro Pascal, his portrayal of that character was amazing. I didn't really notice his character in the books. I didn't really care about his character. And I adored him on screen and I knew what was going to happen and I was really depressed about it and I kept hoping they would change it and they didn't. (laughs) Um, He was fantastic for me. He just brought that to life in a way I didn't expect and really kind of you know, like sometimes you, you see things change from the book to the show and they lose something. But he's one of those cases where he really added something that was missing, I think, in the words. Yeah, he was he was really fantastic. And well, and it made the made what what happened, what awful thing happened to him that that much harder to swallow. Gut wrenching. Yeah. You know, as awful as it is to watch, it's a good thing when you care that much about about something bad happening to a character. Yeah. So that was my hands down favorite situation. And then also if we're talking about the finale at all, my favorite moment from the finale was the Daenerys dragons thing. That was just shot really well. The music was really good. It was really sad. Yeah. It was a surprisingly affecting scene given that, I mean, the dragons really haven't been a big part of the show. They're completely CGI'd. Uh, Daenerys's story hasn't been the most emotional or affecting, but they, they really nailed it with that one. Yeah, it was, it was perfect. I'll, I'll say I really enjoyed, um, the second to last episode, Watchers on the Wall, um, just because I'm my, up until this point, my favorite episode by far and away was uh, the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, when, when to me, when the show finally you know gets kind of the budget that that it needs and and can pull off that kind of huge you know action sequence, um, to me that's just really rewarding because we've got all these characters that we have all this history with and and you know, <sighs> these emotional arcs, but then we get to see that all kind of come to a head in something like that with a lot of characters involved that we've become invested in um plus it was just badass it really was <laughs> it, it definitely was i i, I remember I, I think i gasped at the scene where they released that giant fucking anchor yes. on the wall <laughs> well the anchor and the giant arrow too that shot through blew the guy like a mile in the air that was also pretty i laughed for about three straight minutes after that <laughs> i'm not gonna lie that was pretty jaw drop worthy <laughs> I did too. That was awesome. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I guess my favorite moment of the entire season was, of course, the fist-pumping moment for all of me and the other two Stannis supporters when uh, <laughs> Stan- when the one when the one true king arrives at the wall and uh, takes his uh, his place as the king on the wall. 
Uh, I was very excited about that, and I look forward to what I think might actually be. And this is no this is no joke here. I think that wall storyline, which did not get much play this year, yeah. other than one full episode. I mean, it was built terribly up until that point. Uh, I think the wall is going to be one of the most interesting parts of season five. For sure. I mean, the dynamics between Melisandre and John and and Stannis and uh, and the Onion Knight, and of course, I, I think who's going to be an MVP next year is Mance Raider. I think we really need to watch Kieran Hines for yeah, sure. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, just something to look forward to. But I, of course, everything with the Red Viper was awesome too. And thinking about his head exploding makes me so sad. Making fun of it. I do. It's, torturing it's me. the only way I can deal with my, my sadness around it is by making fun of it. Um, it's just my coping mechanism. bringing it up and just reminding me that it happened for no reason. <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it, I've also, last, last night's episode, one thing I really liked um, was the fact that they went ahead and confirmed that um, the mountain is basically becoming Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. those tubes and stuff to him i thought oh my god this is like weird science this is amazing yeah. <laughs> i'm a hundred percent in favor of more mad science in my tv <laughs> me too um and you guys you guys took a lot of the great ones i think i think i might choose uh and i know at least one of these scenes is going to probably draw some ire but i might choose honestly the uh uh the fight scenes this season which ranged from, you know, the mountain versus the viper, that incredibly acrobatic, like very emotional, just heartrending uh, scene to last night's scene, which was uh, Brienne versus the hound, which uh, started off as a very traditional fantasy fight. And when both of them realized, like, wait, we're not fucking knights, became this like street fight. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved the flavor of all the fights from the walls, kind of epic combat to the quick and dirty, to the kind of sweeping gladiatorial. I think they just did a great job at varying it up and, uh, spacing them out and just really impressing with action sequences on TV, which typically are not impressive things. Yeah, yeah that I was. Agree. Yeah. I, I liked that fight last night too a lot up until w- when it became the fist fight, uh, which was from a story standpoint and, and the actor standpoint was fantastic. But that was the part I was talking about earlier that was like this super uh, quick cut edits were just ridiculous. Like you couldn't tell what was going on at all at a certain point. It was like it looked a little bit like uh, amateur hour on the on the uh, cutting room floor for a second there. <laughs> Somebody said that last night too, actually, Harper. So you're not the only one who thinks that. Yeah, uh, it was very poorly done. It, 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 for for one sequence of it, it was really really bizarre. It was noticeably bad. That's the way I felt about Jojen getting stabbed in the in the chest too. I thought it looked so. It was weird. comical. It, it was, was just really very comical. Casual. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, chunk chunk chunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did almost play that as comical. Yeah. It was weird. Um, Um, And uh, my other scene that I loved was uh, complete fabrication, not in the books at all, was Tyrion and Jaime's pre-trial by combat conversation about uh, uh, violent cousin Orson. Yeah, that was great. Um, Which was just such a well-written, fantastically acted uh, little, little bit of writing and... Uh, I don't typically respect uh, the two showrunners 
as much as maybe I should, but the um, Benioff and Weiss really nailed it with that. Yeah, it was a nice scene. I mean, I think Peter Dinklage is probably going to earn that uh, Best Supporting Actor Emmy if he wins it. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he certainly is one of the best in show there, along with uh, Pedro Pascal and, uh, of course, always, always Lena Headey, who I think might yeah. be the finest actor on the entire show. Next year is going to be her year. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that just about wraps up uh, our Game of Thrones talk. Um Fourth season, very good, a little controversial, but uh, one of the one of the more intense seasons the show has produced. I Definitely. think we can all agree. For sure. Hi everyone, it's Harper from GeekRex.com, and I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know that there's now a way you can help us in our ongoing efforts to provide you with the best in geek-related news, film and TV criticism, comics discussion, and super cool podcasts. If you like what we do, it's very easy to help. Just head to GeekRex.com and click on our Amazon portal link right on our homepage. It'll take you directly to Amazon, and then on any purchase you make, GeekRex will get a percentage, which goes a long way to offsetting our regular out-of-pocket expenses. You can even bookmark the page, and then, without even thinking about it, you'll be helping us out a lot. Every little bit helps, and if you're already shopping on Amazon, we'd be incredibly grateful if you'd consider providing a contribution to our efforts. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show! So now, I guess we're going to do a quick, uh, uh, hard left turn, and talk about (laughs) some of our favorite... Uh, pieces of pop culture from uh, the last few weeks, from recent days, I guess. Uh, so why don't we get started with you, Hannah? Okay, well, mine will be out as of the time of this podcast airing, which is the Lego Movie comes out this Tuesday. Um, I saw it in theaters twice, and I loved it, and I'm going to own it as soon as it's out, too. I loved it. It was so good. Highly recommend. That's my pick of the week. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. I'm I'm excited to see that one again. Me too. I can't yeah, that's wait it. for Funny Batman. <laughs> My parents are dead. <laughs> I have money. That makes it yeah. better. That's a that's a special feature marathon kind of movie. I think I, I can't wait to see the behind the scenes stuff on that for sure. And you know we still yeah. haven't seen Twenty Two Jump Street yet. I mean the same guys made it. <laughs> we still haven't gone to see the damn well, we movie. We were we were thinking about seeing that tonight. Oh, we might go see that tonight maybe. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about how about you, Kyle? Okay, so I um, I got a chance to see a very very interesting film. So I'm I never thought in my entire life I'd ever want to see a movie about 13 year old punk rockers. Um, <laughs> but Lucas Moodyson's "We Are the Best," or as it's probably pronounced, uh, "VR Bast," is uh, fantastic. Um, it uh, it is a coming of age story basically about two girls. Uh, both of which are, they, I, w- I wouldn't say that they're, that they're ugly ducklings or anything, but they certainly are like the kind of girls that, they're, they're not the popular kind. One has a mohawk, the other one has glasses and, and kind of curly hair, and it's kind of, kind of plain looking, I guess. And the, but the thing that ties them together is that they love classic punk rock. The movie's set in 1982, right at the tail end of punk being a thing before it became hardcore and metal. Um, and being set in Norway... Uh, it's certainly got a very interesting perspective on what punk rock should be. 
So these two girls, they decide to start their own band. The thing is, they can't play anything at all, which is right up in line with the punk aesthetic. And they recruit a, uh, a young classical guitar player who is also very heavily fundamentalist Christian. And they get, pull her into the lifestyle as well. And so really the, the story kind of builds around their friendship and around boys and around um, you know the, trying to play this sort of talent show that's occurring in another town and how they're trying to learn their one song, which is called Hate the Sport, which is, of course, about how they hate going to P.E., <laughs> um, but you know, it is an incredibly fun film, and it's full of joy. And it, it it was just such a fun experience to watch this thing because so often the coming of age drama is full of angst and and uh, really uh, just 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 really slow sort of you know, sh- you know, shoegazing kind of plotting. Yeah. And this movie just has none of that. It just feels like a pixie dream, man. And mm-hmm. in many ways. And, and it's not because I'm about to go meet Jaime Hernandez, but it reminds me a lot of like Love and Rockets Locust storyline where the two girls have like this very deep connection and it's surrounded by awesome punk rock music. Um, I, I can't recommend this enough. It's right up there with um, Locke and Only Lovers Left Alive is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. All right. To keep an eye out for that one. I hadn't heard much about it. Please Google it. It's it's great, and I don't know when it comes to anybody's town or when it's available at all because it hasn't even hit Atlanta yet. But uh, it will be doing so in the next week, I think. Um, so yeah, just just keep a look at it. It should be hitting somebody's town sometime soon, or it will be on Netflix fairly soon. All right. Uh, how about you, Harper? Uh, what's your what's your pick? I'm going to go for something to- totally on the opposite side of things and go with the uh, the indie game Fez. Uh, it's been out for a pretty long while now, but I just uh, really sunk my teeth into it this week. Um, Fez is about this uh, little guy named Gomez who uh, gets this magical Fez that lets him... Uh, he lives in kind of a 2D flat world, and the Fez lets him um, kind of see the 3D version of, of his world. And so you're you're constantly turning, or, turning the world around uh, to different rotations so you can figure out how to get get around and it's it's extremely challenging and frustrating but uh it's a really fun game it's really rewarding when you figure out these these difficult puzzles um and it's got a really fantastic soundtrack that's actually kind of what got me back into the game uh, when i when i when i bought the game it came with the soundtrack and i started listening to it just on a whim uh, a week or so ago and it was so good that i wanted to try out the game again um Great music, uh, really beautifully put together game. It's just really unique, um, and it's a it's a very fun game. I would uh, recommend it to anybody. Isn't that the game that's like the center point of uh, indie game, the movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I found out about it. Yeah, at, that's at what first. I was too. Yeah, I was just about to mention that. Yeah, great movie too. Well, the creator doesn't come off very well, though. Well, no, he looks like a lunatic. <laughs> He actually but, recently kind of made the news because he, uh, I think so, someone insulted him on Twitter and he canceled Fez 2, even though it was supposed to be like oh three quarters God. done. Wow. He's a temperamental guy, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to play it, though. Oh, I could see it's it's maddening enough to play, so I can imagine creating it might drive somebody insane. Uh, particularly if you're putting it together by yourself, more or less. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine the the programming level that it takes to, to put that together. It's a very complicated game. Oh, I'll have to try that one out. And uh, I guess my my pick of the week is another film. 
Um, this one is Chef, uh, written by, directed by, produced by, and starring John Favreau. Now, I'm going to just do a brief description of the movie and go in. This was so clearly like him reacting to the back-to-back gut punches of Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens (laughs) that it's almost hilarious. But uh, Jon Favreau plays a Miami-born chef who is working in a very well-off restaurant in Los Angeles where he's very well-paid, has the best equipment possible, but the place is run by money men who don't really appreciate, you know, taking risks with cooking. They only want to just serve out the same thing every night and just get as many people in the door as possible. And when a uh, the biggest food critic in California visits gives him a scathing review and uh, John Favreau's character has a kind of nervous breakdown and ends up uh, getting fired from his job and becoming kind of the laughing stock of the internet and has to kind of return to his roots and rediscover why he enjoyed filmmaking cooking in the first place. And um, yeah, that, to me, was a very, very uh, personal reaction, I think, to what some people were saying about some of his recent films. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, no kidding. I was really interested in it when uh, I saw the first preview for it, and I've heard nothing but good things generally, but I, I just haven't had a chance to see it myself. But I like Faber as an actor. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it looks yeah, good. Too. It's just one that I see myself waiting for Netflix for some reason. But maybe on your recommendation, I'll go ahead and, and, and yeah. jump the gun and see it in theaters. I mean, it's it's not a... I mean, it's not, you know, a spectacular, like, huge film. I think the first time I saw it, actually, I've seen it twice now. My my girlfriend really wanted to see it with me, and I liked it enough that I was like, yeah, sure, definitely, I'll, I'll happily do that. And uh, I liked it a lot more the second time because it is the lowest conflict movie I've seen in ages. <laughs> I mean, there's there's the first time I kept expecting something to happen, but it's much more of a road trip movie combined with food porn. <laughs> very, very, very well filmed food porn. We're a household that likes the latter a lot, but <laughs> uh, we watch those cooking shows like every night. Yeah, I actually saw John Favreau on one of those shows. I can't remember if it was, I think it was Top Chef. It might've been a food network show instead, instead of the Bravo show, but he was on one of those cooking competition shows judging and he was there to plug his movie. It was pretty cute. Yeah. I mean, this is like, I've, 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 there, I've, I've seen about three movies in my life that where the audience audibly gasped at something that happened. And the last one I saw, I think was magic Mike in theaters. <laughs> when you first see Channing Tatum's ass, <laughs> the entire row in front of me was just like, <gasps> You know, all I remember from Magic Mike is actually Matthew McConaughey because like (laughs) chiseled like a statue. It was crazy. (laughs) That that was like the start of his like crazy comeback, you know, that movie. Surprisingly. Well, and and this one, this one also got audible gasps from the audience uh, when um, 
during some of the cooking scenes. Hmm. Really? Wow. I literally the I literally my girlfriend, I could hear her I could hear her gasp during a scene where he's making a grilled cheese sandwich. What? <laughs> Wow. This, this may destroy my lifestyle diet. I have t- <laughs> you know, you know what I was thinking of when you started describing this movie. Do you guys remember that movie from the '90s with Sarah Michelle Gellar called "Simply Irresistible"? I believe it was called, where she plays a chef with like magic, like weird, <laughs> like magical powers that come out of the food that she makes. It was terrible. Wait, is that practically do? Is that Practical Magic or is that Simply Irresistible? I can't remember. Isn't there like two of those? No. Uh... Pr- practical Magic, I think, was about like a coven. Oh, okay. Simply yeah, Irresistible. It, uh, let me see if it was Simply Irresistible. I'm pretty sure. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, it was called Simply Irresistible. It's like, all I remember is like, there was a weird crab who was wearing a tuxedo who they kept showing randomly, like a real crab. Wow. And then also... <laughs> She would, like, cut open food and weird, like, mist and steam would come out. It was so bad. It sounds so, like this is a much better <laughs> food movie than that. <laughs> so so here's, your, uh, here's your cover art blurb, John Favreau. I hope you appreciate this. Make sure to credit it to all of us. <laughs> better than Simply Irresistible. <laughs> yeah. Even it, better. It, it's got to be. I haven't seen it, and I'm sure that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's pretty much everything. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening. I guess does anyone else have anything they want to toss in real quick? Uh, we're we're going to Heroes Con next weekend or this coming weekend, Harper and I. So next episode, lots of interviews with good comic book creators, right, yeah. Harper? Yes, indeedy. We got a, a big surprise coming on the stream pretty soon. I think some some really exciting content. Yes, I was yes. going to ask something, then I'm not going to ask it because it's a surprise. So never mind. <laughs> I just decided it would be a surprise. Okay, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> now I won't be there, but I've seen the list, and y'all should listen in because it's it going to be crazy. Is a legendary guest list. <laughs> I'm going to freeze up. It's what's going to happen. No, you <laughs> won't. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, Matt, I really it's like... your effortless podcast. I, re- I really like Hawkeye, Matt. <laughs> uh, how, do you, how do you get ideas? <laughs> no, someone asked that last every year. Every time someone asked that in every panel. What's your, what do you draw your inspiration from? If I was one of those guys, I would start smashing my head against the table every time someone said that. Someone asked Jonathan Hickman that. Where do you get your ideas from? And I'm pretty sure he answered it in the most diplomatic way possible without just straight up saying, what the fuck? I know. (laughs) All right. So tune in next week to hear some great interviews. And uh, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our talk about Game of Thrones. And uh, we'll see you back soon. Bye, bye, bye. So long.